What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast. I'm Corey, and today I speak to journalist Chris Mogg. I found Chris on a documentary on Hulu called Who Killed Jeffrey Epstein? And he was interviewed because of the, um, the, the work that he did on investigating the Lolita Express, which was Jeffrey Epstein's uh, private plane that he would take and, and do his thing, I guess. So me and Chris talk a lot about the Epstein case, his investigation into it, what he published, the documentary, uh, his thoughts on Epstein, if he really did kill himself, um, and everything surrounding Epstein. We also go down a rabbit hole of other conspiracy theories that uh, are just exciting for me to talk about. We talk about 9-11, we talk about Bohemian Grove, we talk about a lot of things. He is a very logical man. I put my tinfoil hat on quite a bit during this episode, but it was fun to do, and I really appreciate him coming on. So like this video, subscribe to the channel, and click that bell notification so you get notified every single time my face comes on this camera or audio, however you're listening to me, I really appreciate it. Enjoy this episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast with journalist Chris Mogg. See you next time. Peace out. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast. I'm Corey, and today we have journalist and writer Chris Mogg who has worked with UST, USA Today and a couple other um, places. Um, but I'm going to let you kind of delve into your background and your story. But thank you, Chris, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Sure. Uh, thank you, Corey. Thank you for reaching out. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So yeah, so I'm, I'm Chris Mogg. Um, I am now a columnist slash um, uh, enterprise reporter at the Record newspaper in New Jersey and USA Today. Um, I've bounced around a lot. Uh, I spent eight years writing as a freelance writer, primarily for the New York Times and Time Magazine covering the Midwest. I've worked for, as a staff writer for monthly magazines, alternative weeklies, a bunch of websites, a bunch of startups, um, mostly writing a little editing. Um, so my job now, what I do is, um, I, my home base is the record in New Jersey. Um, I live in New York City. And so I get to cover primarily New York and New Jersey and my focus is just trying to find the most interesting stories I can, ideally that I think I can write well. So a lot of the stories are really small. I mean, there are a thousand word stories about a doggy birthday party because it was lovely and beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Um, all the way up to project I'm working on now where it's tens of thousands of words and it's months of work. So, um, but what they all have in common most have in common is I come into it thinking, oh, there's a good tale there. There's a good right, story right. that I can write well. Um, yeah, and it just kind of catches my eye. That's awesome. Yeah, and I feel like that's that's every writer I've spoken to and author, journalist, they always kind of have that kind of same timeline where it's like free, like you kind of jump around and stuff like that because you know so, so I guess sometimes you kind of get tired of doing the same thing over and over. So it's a nice little refresh, especially as a writer. That's a creative space. I'm a creative, yeah. I'm a filmmaker. So like if I'm like stagnant or I'm like constantly working on the same thing, I'm just like, ah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I can't imagine as a writer, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Well, and I got to say one of the things that I'm, I mean, it's, there's there are advantages and disadvantages. One disadvantage to me jumping around so much is I don't have go-to sources. Right. So when I'm learning a new topic, it's ground up. It takes a long time. There is tedium and it's slow. Got you. Uh, modern journalism doesn't like slow. Um, on the other hand, I'm really 
grateful um, that I have the freedoms I do. It's really rare to have this kind of, of uh, opportunity anymore to ramble right. and be a generalist. No, yeah, I totally agree with you. I, and and um, when you said that, it's kind of like not who's right, it's who's first now with news. Yeah. Um, for example, just a side right, note. Yeah, I mean, uh, you got to get it right. But but I've seen a lot, especially in the last like five to seven years of just like putting it out first and then backtracking. Um, for example, uh, just recently, I'm a big Packers fan. And the whole Aaron Rodgers thing has been a crazy situation. Was he going to stay? Mm-hmm. Is he going to go? Blah, blah, blah. Every report you hear. And he's a very interesting person and very kind of uh, introverted and, and closed off. So the, the report comes out on Tuesday. He signs a four-year, $200 million, $156 million guaranteed contract with the Packers. Every, I mean, every big conglomerate says it. ESPN, Fox, everything. So everyone's like, oh, this is legit. Adam Scheffner says it, who has like never been wrong. Two hours later, Aaron Rodgers tweets from his actual account. Yes, I will be with the Packers next year, but everything that you've heard about the contract and the negotiations, I haven't signed anything, are all false. And I'm just like, what the hell, man? Like, like all these huge publishers and shows and everything was talking about it. Um, and now they had to like backtrack and be like, oh, well, it's, it's just interesting to me. Um, did he throw that out and kind of make it this big spectacle? I don't know. But I've seen that a lot lately uh, in the sports world for sure. But mm-hmm. it's just I personally go down rabbit holes all the time, whether it's a crazy story, like what we're going to talk about today with Epstein um, or sports related stuff. I'm always like, oh, this is I always I've trained myself to be like, I'm just going to wait to see before I like share it or I talk about it or I say I know something because there's been a lot of times where I've done that. (laughs) It's not even true. So I can't imagine as a writer like you're in, in the fact that you don't have those, you know, kind of like standalone sources that you can go to that you always know are, are good. That has to be extremely difficult. Yeah, it can be. I mean, um, it really, um, it, it, how, what does, there's a lot there. Let me see. Let me I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no. Um, when I wind up, I do, I, in my career, there have been times when I wind up in a scrum of reporters right. quite frequently. And there are other times in my career where I'm very rarely in a scrum. Um, usually when I'm in a scrum of reporters, uh, and I've been in some really big ones, um, I'm the person who knows the least. Right. I don't follow, you know, for, for a little while, I was doing a lot of stuff in, in um, uh, New York and New Jersey politics. I, I don't follow... Cuomo's, I didn't follow Cuomo's Twitter. I couldn't tell you any of the names of his spokespeople. Right. And so the, what I noticed, people around me were all completely hooked into that world. Right. And so they've got instant dings on their phone every time any one of their sources tweets. Right. So they're beating me left and right. Right. Um, what's, if I had to compete for news with those people, I would lose. Right. I've been fortunate that I rarely have to compete with them for news um, because I'm able to come in and always my, my interest from uh, my relationship with journalism has changed a lot. Right. I can um, imagine. You know, and it's morphed, but now it's kind of done a 180. I still honestly have a bit of the, the, 
competitive drive, I don't like to be beaten. Right. And if I'm in a competitive situation, I want to rise to it. Right. Right. Um, I also, over the last couple of years, I've remind, reminded myself at a deep level, I've never been a news hound. Okay. I've never cared as a reader. I've never cared or noticed who got a story first. I don't really care about the strom and drang of uh, scoops, uh, which makes me a bit of an anachronism now in, in my field. Um, <laughs> from the beginning, I, actually, I didn't. I didn't really want to be a journalist <laughs> right. at all. Oh wow! Uh, I didn't study journalism. I was, I was a history major. Um, what really changed it for me was I had been working for a daily paper in the Seattle area uh, for I don't know a year or two. Um, I liked it, but you know, right. I quit. And I moved to Guatemala, and I lived in Guatemala for a year. Oh, and randomly, I picked up in a used bookstore a compilation. I still have it. <laughs> That's crazy. Right here, it's always close at hand. This is the book in Guatemala. I picked, I bought this in Guatemala in 2000. Wow. Uh, it's got a crazy title: "The Candy Colored Tangerine Flake Streamlined Baby." And it's by Tom Wolfe, and it's a compilation of his first magazine stories for <clears throat> Esquire and New York Magazine. Wow. So what made you pick that up? I, it was 50 cents. Right. Okay. Right? Like that's, right. I mean, I didn't know Tom Wolfe. Right. Then. Now I know the whole history of Tom Wolfe and, and how these stories fit into what I love. Wow. At the time, all I did was I picked up this little book because it was cheap and right. I didn't have any money. And I started reading it, and here's the lead. 10 o'clock Sunday morning in the hills of North Carolina. Cars, miles of cars in every direction. Millions of cars, pastel cars, aqua green, aqua blue, aqua beige, aqua buff, aqua dawn, aqua dusk, aqua malacca, malacca lacquer. Cloud lavender, assassin pink, rake-a-cheek raspberry, nude strand coral, honest thrill orange, and baby fawn lost. Cream-colored cars are all going to the stock car races, and that old mothering North Carolina sun keeps exploding off the windshield. Wow. That's the first paragraph. Wow. That was super detailed. And I'm like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is what that is. I've been a journalist getting paid. Yep. Not much to be a journalist for a couple of years by then. And I read that and I'm like, you can do that? Right. You know, if I had been, if I had had a clue right, right. <laughs> about myself or the world in high school or college, I would have discovered somewhere along the way, you can do that. Right. And, and <laughs> be was, a journalist. Yeah. yeah. And be a journalist. Right. I was 28 when I read this. Oh, wow. So, yeah. I'm 48 now. So it has taken me some time to bend this, to bend my career right. forward and back to the point where I wouldn't read a, a, a write a lead like this. Tom right. Wolf now reads a little dated, but I'm still inspired by the idea. Right. That's that awesome. Some, that on some stories, not every story, some stories, one, me, you as a writer, it's just like getting up to home plate at Yankee Stadium and saying, I am not swinging for singles. I'm mm, either striking right. out yep. or I'm swinging for homers. Right. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. It's super exciting. That's super exciting. That's so cool. Uh, 
some of my, you know, the stories I'm working on right now, the stories we're going to talk about aren't really that. Right. They're more investigative and yeah, yeah. Uh, as a writer, more boring. Yeah. Uh, but as a reader and a watcher and someone who is entrenched in those things and conspiracy as a curious person, as a curious person that's a good yeah, word for it. Yeah, they're interesting. Uh, sure. But as pieces of writing, you know, going into a story like these ones that we'll right. talk about, it's not a piece of writing. It's right. a piece of reporting. Right. That's true. Also, it's kind of like, it's it's investigative. So you kind of have to filter through a lot of like Sorry. BS or kind of like not true things or, or, or stuff like that. It's almost like you're like a cop trying to solve a crime almost. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to make this light brighter for you. Sorry. No, you're good. You look fine. Okay. I think that, there you go. That's good. Is that better? Yeah. You're 48, man. You look like, I thought you were like 27. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You look super young. Thank you. Not the 48 old, but. Yeah, yeah. No. I, I do hear that I don't look 48. So that's, you do not look 48. Nice. You I do work not look, Yeah, okay, good. I'm like, uh, is it The weekend? Who? I, I, I work out. Who is that band? I don't that know. Was I, hook, that was oh, a hook. That was a popular um, hook about five years ago. Oh, my God. It was like the guy with the crazy hair. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. It was like a little like two-person band type. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, they had, they had a lot of uh, good songs. Hooky. Yeah. Songs. I forget who they are, though. Yeah, Damn, totally. that's gonna. Yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, I work out. Yeah, I know. Exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Fuck, who is that? That's gonna bother me. It's not the weekend, but it's, it's not some, the weekend. It's, it's somebody like that. All right, it's I'm gonna a band name like that. Hold on, give me a second. I work out song. Um. Oh Jesus. Who? This is gonna bother me. I'm sorry, Chris. That's all right. I'll look it up too. All right. Who is that? Oh, um, of sexy and I know it. LMFAO. Yes, LMFAO. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yep. All, right. All right, cool. All right, now that we figured that out. So, <laughs> yeah. that important business. <laughs> 30 minutes in, this yeah. is what we've determined. Um, so, so I found just so the watchers and listeners know what uh, one of the main reasons I'm talking to you is because I watched a documentary um, called Who Killed Epstein? Um, I've ever since I mean I've known about Epstein for years um and ever since I've I've interviewed a lot of people like I said off camera like Catherine Cornelius Smith who was uh President Bill Clinton's basically right-hand woman uh she was like basically she wasn't basically she was sent you know picking all his travel she was organizing his day for him just you know him very well uh her husband also ran and did all the um secret service for the clintons and other administrations i've interviewed on the, that's on one spectrum so that's clinton lovers and on the other other spectrum i've interviewed gary byrne who is the only secret service only person to really testify against a sitting president in congress uh when he he testified against Clinton in the blue dress and Monica Lewinsky. So I have both spectrums and both people. I've always asked them and talked about Epstein and their mm-hmm. relationship with Bill Clinton. And, and a lot of it is thought in this and that, and kind of like what they think. Um, not so much fact, uh, like a lot of the stuff now that we know about Epstein is fact um, because a lot of it has come out. So I watched a documentary, uh, I think it was on Hulu and I saw you and I was like, okay, this, this person's really interesting. Um, and you seem to know a lot about him, obviously. That's why they interviewed you. Uh, everybody knows 
if, if they've watched my channel, they listen to my podcast, they know who Epstein is. So I'm not going to, who is Jeffrey Epstein? Right, Google right. it. I'm not going to spend, I'm not going to waste time. Yeah. Um, but I just have some questions about you and your knowledge of him and kind of like sure. your thoughts on that. And we'll talk about just Lane as well. And then we'll talk about your current project that you're working on. And just um, so you know, to lay good. the groundwork, um, sure. there's my reporting mm -hmm. and then there's the reading I've done. Okay. Right? So my reporting was actually very limited in scope. It was right. about Lolita Express and his plane network. Yep. Um, that's a pretty small part actually of the Epstein story. Oh, so yeah. I'm happy to talk about the other stuff, Right. but know that whether he committed suicide or not. Right. Right. On those topics, I'm speaking as a journalist who reads other journalists. Gotcha. Yep. Not as somebody who's reported on that. Gotcha. Yep. I actually have a couple questions about Lolita Express because that's yeah. something that um, I was always curious about of how, you know, I asked Gary Byrne similar questions of like, you know, the, the doc of the docket of people on that list of who's been on that plane is fascinating to me and how all of that just is. Eh, no big deal. It's just, you know, the president of the United States has been on there over 20 times. Uh, mm -hmm. I always tell Trump people. Trump was on both. I mean, Trump and. Trump and too. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. And I always tell people like, I know, I've known friends for 25 years now. I'm 33. I've had friends for a very long time. I've never even been on a plane with them, let alone 26 times, if that makes sense. So I feel like you really, you can't just do those things. Bill Gates too. You can't do those things. And then years later say, oh, well, I barely knew the person. That's complete bullshit in my eyes. Huh? Right. So let's start with Lolita. As, well, actually, you know what? Hold on. Okay. First of all, Epstein was extremely rich and wealthy. And if you watch a documentary, you know, his background was not really that kind of thing. Like he wasn't, he kind of knew the right people is what it seemed like. He always found a niche or a person to get in with that could get him to the next level. Um, and then Wexler was kind of like the cash cow, I believe, mm -hmm. um, that he really, uh, got to know, but, but do you know, like, aside from the documentary and stuff like that, how, how did he get so wealthy? Cause didn't Wexler give him that town home in, in Manhattan? I, th this is the central question to me about Jeffrey Epstein. This is what I'm interested in. Right. Uh, I have my own hunch about his death. Uh, and I think that's way less interesting than his, oh, really? life. Than his life. I think okay. his life is fascinating. Yeah. And so I am from Columbus, Ohio. I grew up 10 miles from Les Wexner. Um, for your viewers who don't know Les Wexner, he's, he's very well known in Ohio, not so well known outside of it. Uh, he founded the Limited Brands in, I think, the mid-60s. And he is arguably, I think a strong argument can be made, for Les Wexner being the most successful American retail executive ever. He has single-handedly bought brands that were in, that, that basically existed in name only. Wow. Um, um, Abercrombie & Fitch, mm -hmm. um, Victoria's Secret, uh, one of the Bath & Body Works, um, there were others, <laughs> I'm forgetting the, the lore. Um, but these brands were dead. Abercrombie and Fitch was viewed as this old man. I mean, they'd, they'd famously sold clothes to Hemingway for some of his great What? Right, yeah. I mean, they were, they were an Upper East Side small retailer of outdoor clothing for the rich. Wow. That by the 1970s existed in name only. 
But maybe I, that's a choice. I, I don't know, know that. that. Yeah. But they it was a crap little tiny enterprise to the extent it even existed. Right. Les Wexner single-handedly, oh, the Express, obviously he built the Express and the Limited, um, bought these brands, completely remade them into wow. the brands we know today. Right. Some of them he spun off for massive profit. Some of them he kept under his own corporate umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I think he's still the richest person in Ohio. He's worth about $4 billion. I mean, smart dude. <laughs> right. I mean, definitely, yeah. Right. Um, so why would Les Wexner, who had friends in Columbus, Ohio, who also were founders and, and CEOs of very successful corporations, they were friends with all these guys. Um, he had access to the best financial advice in the world. Why would he hire Jeffrey Epstein, who didn't graduate from college? Yeah, was that one of those, uh, Bear, I forget exactly, but Bear Stearns or one of those Wall Street yeah, firms. One of those firms, yep. Yeah, rose quickly. <sighs> Young guy. Why would he bring, and, and people in Columbus, I, I'm still friends with people at Columbus Monthly Magazine. They did a big story looking into this, including interviewing some of these CEOs who said at the time, who is Jeffrey Epstein? Why are you talking to this guy? He's nothing. Right. Like we have built industries from scratch right. and we are your friends. Right. And you, Les Wexner, are cutting us out for this guy. Right. Um, that got so extreme that, Le- uh, that Les Wexner gave Jeffrey Epstein power of attorney. Uh, power of attorney means that you can do anything in the, the person's name. It's usually for people in vegetative states or who fear they might be in a coma soon. I mean, we don't know much about what Jeffrey Epstein did with this power, but he had the authority, if he chose, to sell the limited. Yep. To do everything in his name. To take out personal loans, to yep. do anything yep. in Les Wexner's name. We don't know if he actually used that power, but that's the kind of power that a power of attorney has. Right. Les Wexner now is getting old. I don't know about his physical or mental state. Um, at all, and that's not to disparage. He might be great. He might be right. really fun. But when that power of attorney contract was signed, he was in full. He was totally fine. Control of his factories. Yep. Yep. So that's all I know. Just that relationship is weird. Oh well, there's other, another thing I know that also is weird. Um, it's the largest private residence in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's. I forget the recent valuation, but it's massive and it's right next to Central Park. Yep. It's on the Upper East Side. And stories I've read from legitimate sources, real sources, including the New York Times, uh, Wexner gave that mansion to, to Jeffrey Epstein for, I think, a dollar. A dollar? Right. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, yeah. No, I've sure. heard that. Yeah. It's stuck in my head, but I, I would want to check yeah. on that. But, but essentially gave it to him. Right. Um, and that, so, okay, I guess there are other things that, that yeah. we wonder about. This. <laughs> There's the rabbit hole of Epstein. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I stay pretty close to the surface, honestly. Right. But um, at, like, I, I have a sense of how well Les Wexner lives. Right. At mansions in different places. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein was in that orbit. He was either, if this is Les Wexner, Jeffrey Epstein was either here, here, or here. Right. If you're a financial advisor with one client, how do you live 
roughly as well right. as your only client. Right. How do you afford to fly a Boeing 727, which is a fuel hog, uh, around the country hundreds of times a year and park it at Teterboro Airport where it costs $60,000 a month to hang her? Jesus. Yeah, which is why he parked it there because well, I'll tell you that in a minute, but uh, the whole Teterboro story. But all of that is really interesting. Right. Super fascinating. I don't have answers to any of it. <laughs> right. And when and if the New York Times or the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal or the New Yorker comes out with the definitive story saying, here's how that happened, right. then I will read about it. But I'm not going to waste my, I'm busy. I'm not going to yeah. go onto Reddit yeah. and see what some jerk off yep. in my hometown says like, burr, burr. Yeah. Yep. like I'm there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not because right. yeah. we have a process. Like I trust, I trust the process of journalism and I trust the process of federal investigators. Sure. Right. Because there are consequences if you get it wrong in both cases. Right. So if a journalist in a, in a reputable magazine, let's say the New Yorker, mm -hmm dedicates a year, let's say, to nailing down, how did Jeffrey Epstein live like this? That's a story I will read and remember. Right. Almost any place else, I don't care. Right, because the, <laughs> the legit, legitimate of it, the legitimateness of it is not gonna be there because he really didn't do the legwork and, and the way you're talking about. I have to know and understand the process by which you arrive at your conclusions. Right. And if I trust that process, I will trust your results. Right. Makes if sense. If you can't share your process, I don't care. Right. Yeah. That's, and you know, you bring up a good point of like, that, that was my question or my, I always thought about this too. Actually, like really anybody, Gates and any of these people who were, you know, either giving him money or getting financial advice. I mean, some of these people are the richest people on the planet they have, like you said, access to the highest level of support and help when it comes to financing and stuff like that and financial advice. Um, why would they put themselves around this person who has really not that extensive of experience doing it successfully either? Like, okay, yeah, he worked at a firm here and there, but how successful was he? And, and did he do all those great things for someone like uh, Les Wexler, like you're saying, super successful, mm -hmm. did it all by himself, basically, from the ground up from the 60s? Why, mm -hmm. the, why the hell would he ask yeah. help from him? I, I wonder about that with Les Wexner. Once the system is running and he is, and, and Jeffrey Epstein is established in New York society, uh, it becomes a soft currency. That's true. You know, that's uh, true. To, we see that with Donald Trump. Donald Trump was a failure yep. throughout his entire business career. Everything mm -hmm. that he did turned to mud. Right. Uh, bankruptcies all over the place. And yet he could go to any New York Upper East Side party yep. because he was entertaining. Right. Because psychopaths are fun. Because <laughs> they don't give a crap about you. That's so right. they'll say whatever comes to mind. That's fun. Right. When you add in what Donald Trump had, um, the aura of money, even if he didn't really have any money left, right. um, a beautiful wife, fun stories, you get, you, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. You know? you're, so you're to in. me, to me, once you're in, 
uh, you're good. And it, he did, Epstein, after he got arrested and served some uh, very easy time in Florida on sex trafficking, mm-hmm. um, he did come back to New York and it was a mixed bag. You did see people with honor right. cut him out. Like distance themselves from him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you see that in the flight logs. You see that in society reporting. He, uh, people saw, some people saw, he never regained the popularity right. that he had already achieved, even after giving all this money to, I think it was Harvard was a big one. I mean, yeah. he, he spent large, uh, he's, he's, he ramped up his spending on science-based philanthropy right. to try to ingratiate himself back into New York society. It worked somewhat, but it never really regained. Right, got him to where he was. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, though, because if you've in, if you're in with less and you kind of already in that world and you've elevated yourself to that, you're right. It is much easier. And because a lot of people, I feel like, are, you know, the Gates, the Trumps, the the Clintons, like whether it's, you know, there's no real true proof that they were involved in a lot of the, the sex trafficking and stuff like that. But the the lore of of Epstein and the fact that, oh, he's one of us do i know why or how he's one of us i just know he's a fun guy it could just, right everybody i know likes him says he's a smart guy right so it's kind of like eh, i'm not going to investigate this multi-billionaire says he's good i'm good you know it's kind yeah. of like yeah you know so i get that too, sorry, yeah the other thing too is that this story part of the i i generally don't like conspiracy theories right I've never liked them. them when the dod was forced to come out last year with those videos of unexplained aerial objects <laughs> and basically said aliens yeah maybe yeah like i might have been the only american who was angry because i was like man i've been making fun of people who believe in aliens and ufos this whole time morons and now that's real now i gotta allow that into consciousness that sucks that's too right funny. like because the dod is releasing it like that's a source like they do semester. It's pretty stuff, legit. When, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. Um, so <laughs> I understand how Epstein is catnip right. to conspiracy theorists. Yes. I also want to put out there, and I'm not a student of this strain of conspiracy theory. So I'm just speaking off of what I'm kind of vaguely aware of in sure. culture. Like I've been studying this. I haven't done stories about this. I'm not a media journalist. I'm not a right. media columnist. But Mm, uh, uh, oh, I just, uh, Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. Uh, in the early 2000s, was promoting this untrue connection between, and he would hammer away at this night after night, between Democrats and pedophiles. Right. It was a tenuous argument, but if you paid attention long enough and untrue, but if you paid attention long enough, what he was trying to say is that trial lawyers are one of the last, now that the Republican Party has successfully knocked um, the legs out from under the major funders, traditional funders of the Democratic Party, uh, unions being primary, mm-hmm. um, and secondarily the middle class. Uh, trial lawyers have become one of the most dependable sources of money for Democrats, especially before VCs in Silicon Valley came online. Right. Um, and so what the tenuous argument that Bill O'Reilly was trying to make was that some, uh, some of these attorneys uh, defend clients who accused of um, 
molestation mm-hmm. children. And so Democrats are pedophiles. Right. All Democrats. Is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so this this narrative that um, that at its most extreme and stupid. Right. Uh, Hillary Clinton is involved in a scheme to kidnap children and have them in the basement of a not very good uh, DC pizza shop for the purposes of sex and rape is stupid and untrue. That doesn't happen. The Clintons have never killed anybody. The Clintons have never mm, been involved. I'm not gonna say, cause I don't know what Bill Clinton did with Jeffrey Epstein. So I'm not <laughs> gonna say, I'm not gonna go where I was originally gonna go there. Um, did Hillary Clinton organize a child rape ring, child trafficking ring? Absolutely not. And anyone who repeats that is either a moron or has a business model that is fed by conspiracy theories. Those two can overlap. But those are the only two reasons to promote those two, that lie. Sure. Right? And these lies were already out there before the majority of America heard the two words put together of Jeffrey Epstein. Right. That's true. there's a confirmation bias happening here where, yeah, he did terrible things with powerful people and powerless underage girls. Right. That's terrible. That does not prove that the Clintons uh, or Democrats or Donald Trump were knowing participants in a sex trafficking scheme. Right. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Right? Yeah. So, so that's where I get, that's where my baseline, like, conspiracy theories piss me off right no yeah right i haven't watched who killed jeffrey epstein you still haven't watched you know i'm in it <laughs> because, it's, because if, if they, they went had that route. told me the title yeah. i never would have given them an interview yeah they went that route for sure yeah yeah well <clears throat> i'm not going to promote it on twitter right also i forgot to button my buttons so i look I, a bit like a doofus oh that's right you did see that in email i, yeah. like, I didn't I even like, notice I, it i realized after i stepped out of the interview room like, oh, like, like oh, five hours but between those two things yeah. i totally disagree with the premise and i look like a doofus <laughs> i don't watch them <laughs> that's funny more because you look like a doofus or because the premise more because the premise yeah okay all right yeah but yeah, yeah. no so okay all right well i need so, to go off no, no, this is great actually because um, I'm kind of like in the middle of those of idiot and business model <laughs> because I I sometimes not not so much for fun but just for my curiosity of kind of like uh, going down those rabbit holes of mm-hmm. of the, specifically the Clintons. I've had extensive conversations with people who have been with them intimately, not not like sexually intimately, but like have been so yeah, close, yeah, sure. like family with them. Mm-hmm. Um, that I do get some of that from them. And yes, one can be completely biased. Um, and one is a super Democrat who worked for the Clinton. So she's not going to say anything, obviously negative on camera. Um, so you're talking about Pizzagate. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's a couple of different things. I mean, like politicians from mo- most politicians from, I would say, the level of a, of a mayor of a mm. reasonably sized city. Right. And even city council members of a reasonably sized city, all the way up to the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, 
are not people you want to be friends with. They're conniving. Mm -hmm. They have pretty severe mental health problems. They're not all psychopaths, but many of them have kind of those tendencies of Tendency, deep selfishness yeah. and, and seeing the other as inhuman. Yeah. Kind of have to be to be in that world, I think. Yeah, you're, you have so much information coming at you. You have to weed it out. You have to sort people into ones and zeros. Sure. Ones are with me, zeros are against. So are Bill and Hillary Clinton conniving, unwise assholes? Yes. <laughs> so are many of the people in that I've interacted with, say, in the Obama administration. I don't think Obama is quite as bad, honestly, but, but a lot of his close aides are not people you want to hang out with. Right. Um, is the Republican Party, are those operatives the same? Absolutely. Right. And all of that exists. The, 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 the um, selfish, insecurity-driven uh, politics for power. Right, power hungry. I was just about to say power hungry is like yeah, a, yeah. Um, doesn't mean people murder people. Right. Vince Foster wasn't murdered. Yeah. Oh, Are you kidding me? We're still talking about that. Wait. Right, not we, but like as a country. No, I actually, like, I think obviously, Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton never murdered anybody. I mean, you can make arguments about Mogadishu and, you know, foreign policy. Right. But when it comes to their personal interactions with people, that did not happen. Right. How do we know that, though? Well, partly because nobody credible has ever found any evidence. That's true. Yeah. Right. That's a big thing. Well, that's why it's a conspiracy. <laughs> because it's like, yeah, there's no proof that it's that, yeah, the hand on the trigger, Hillary Clinton. But there's no proof that there isn't. There's just a, there's like a, almost like a, like a. It's, a, it's obviously 100% conspiracy theory. There's no proof at all. Yeah. Whether same thing, same thing with 9-11. Uh, don't get People me started, Chris. Uh, yeah, don't go there. Don't, listen, I, no, let's go there if you want. I will. People on the left <laughs> and people on the right. I, I just spent, I just spent uh, not just, but uh, getting ready for the 9-11 anniversary, I spent a week reporting in Shanksville where uh, fl uh, United Flight 93 mm -hmm. went down. Pennsylvania. Um, Pennsylvania. A lot of people there believe, you know, it was an inside job. It was not. It was not. <laughs> Absolutely. Here's how we know. One, the Bush administration is not that diabolical. They were jerks, but they weren't that diabolical. They weren't that crazy. And they were terrible at keeping secrets. When Dick Cheney was planning the big regulatory overhaul to allow fracking, mm -hmm in the Midwest and Southwest, we knew as he was still meeting. Oh, wow. Because they were just then, leaking information. Yeah. Yeah. Because administrations leak on big stuff. Administrations leak. Right. When, when, we, when they were building up the war in Iraq, we knew they had no weapons of mass destruction because Hans Blix had already been in Iraq and hadn't found any. Right. Right. We knew they were lying in real time. So... There's that. Second, you, here, here's a piece of actual reporting I can tell Okay, yeah. Right. I get excited about this. So, do you know Gay Talese? What, what's that? Do you know Gay Talese? No. Gay Talese is one of the pillars of beautiful nonfiction writing okay. of the 20th century. 
He started out at the New York Times, went and wrote a series of blockbuster books. I believe his first blockbuster book was The Bridge. Oh, nice. This is about the construction of the Verrazano Bridge yep. from Brooklyn to uh, Staten Island. And so he got really close with steel workers yep. who were building the bridge. Whole books about steel workers. A lot of those steel workers that he was friends with or close sources with went from the Verrazano Bridge to build the World Trade Center. Uh -huh. And they told him, and I know this because I was at an event with, with Gay Talese where he said this. At the time, in early 70s, when they were building the World Trade Center, the steel workers said, this is terrible. This is not how to build a skyscraper. Really? Two reasons. Yeah, two reasons. One, structurally, all big buildings are supported, all, all buildings over, I don't know exactly, 10 stories, 15 okay. stories, are supported by a strong central core yeah. of concrete and rebar. That's what holds the thing up. Right. All of the floor plates are hung, they're notched in, and they're hung from that core. That core carries electrical, fire, retardant, uh, stairs, um, elevators, but it's structurally, it's, its function is to hold the building up. Right. World Trade Center, the original World Trade Center was the only buildings of that size ever built where they didn't do that. Because hmm. because the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey doesn't have to abide by New York City uh, building rules. Didn't know that. They're their own entity. They're, they're created by Congress. They can do what they want on their That's land. That's true, yeah. That's why they have their own police. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So at the World Trade Center, what they did was they hung the floor plates from the exterior steel, right? Hmm. And it was cheaper to do that. Right. Faster to build. Um, you know, probably would stand. You know, like not as strong though. As, not as strong. Yeah. You know, fine. Um, not great. Weaker, definitely weaker. And the the uh, steel workers also told Gaitalese that the steel. So that's the first issue. It's structurally, right. it was a bad idea. They never should have been built that way. Right. Even though the architect said that anything it could withstand anything and would never fall. Yeah, he's okay. wrong. Okay. And a dipshit. <laughs> if he actually believes that, he's a dipshit. Yeah, he literally said that. Yeah. Yeah, he's wrong. Okay. He, uh, Frank, uh, you know, <laughs> by the same light, Frank Lloyd Wright was held up as some great engineer. He too was an engineering dipshit. Right. Right. His build, his houses fell down. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> architects, architects are not engineers. True. So uh, the other problem, smaller, well, the other simpler to say, is that um, the steel work wasn't very good. They did fast, they did it cheap, and mistakes were made, and it wasn't very strong. Right. So when you fly a plane loaded with however many gallons of jet fuel mm -hmm. into a building, steel melts. Then you play out what happens. When steel melts, and the steel is the only thing holding up the floors, the floor plates fall. Okay. When you have enough floor, when, when one floor plate falls onto another, what happens? Concrete pulverizes. Why does concrete do that? Because sometimes, some, not sometimes, sorry, concrete remains wet, right? There's always a little bit of liquid in concrete. Right, sure. Right? That, con that liquid gets squished and shoots out. Those bullshit videos mm -hmm. 
that say like, those are charges going off. Yeah. They're not comma dumbass. <laughs> comma. Comma well, Corey. Those, yeah. No, not you. I, no, I, mean, I know you. it's me. We right? haven't talked about this, but um, <laughs> what that means, what that is, is the liquid liquefying and, and also dust pulverizing right. under the heavy load of the plates falling. Sure. And it's just, it's dust. Right. It's but, really simple and really obvious. Right. Yeah. Right? And we don't need all of this complex bush inside shop. No. It was four dudes with box cutters. Right. Done. Okay. All right. The simple answer is the answer. No, that honestly, I'm a logical person. Um, so I actually take that, what you said, and it makes sense to me. But. Yes. But. Just put this tinfoil hat on. Quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, two things yes. from this. <clears throat> one, explain to me building number seven. Which one is that? That's the third I haven't building. Looked in, because I know all of yeah. these are bullshit. Like I haven't looked into okay. the theories. So. So there's actually three buildings that fell on 9-11. Tower mm -hmm. one, tower two, and building number seven, okay. which was not on fire, was not ran into by, it wasn't collided by the, wow, the towers. It itself fell in a cascading demolition manner. Mm. And yeah, there's a video of it. It's it's pretty crazy, dude. Okay. I was like, because honestly, I was like, eh, you know, uh, growing up watching 9-11, obviously you don't think of conspiracy theories. You're like, holy shit, yeah. we're under attack. You don't think of that at all until after things start unraveling. I didn't know about building number seven probably until almost 10 years after 9-11 happened. And I'm like, wait, mm -hmm. what is that? I, mm -hmm. it, it was never reported. There's a video of it and it's pretty fascinating because it's not on fire. It just falls. Can I give two questions? Sure. And these are because I don't know what I probably heard of it, but I don't. Yeah, it's well, like you said, what you're I, not in a conspiracy, so you're not. Yeah, there. yeah, right. What I wonder is, so it wasn't hit by debris coming sideways. No, no, yeah. So, so some it was it was hit by you know like like everybody else, the humans that were hit yeah. by the by the uh, debris, but it wasn't like I thought. Oh well, it fell because obviously if one of the towers fell on it, then yeah, it's yeah. not. It like falls like after. It's crazy. It, okay. You could YouTube it. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. So the only, so the questions I have, and that's all I have, is is one debris. Right. Two, um, the World Trade Center site was and is built. You've heard of this in the bathtub. Yes. Right. None of that was land. Right. That was all swamp. Yep. And it will never be as hard as New York granite, New York right. schist, which is what the Empire State is built on. Yep. Um, so maybe that could have me not being that. a scientist or engineer yeah. i wonder if two gigantic buildings coming down hitting a neighboring building with a lot of debris and right. shaking the bathtub right. the structure foundation maybe just yeah, yeah, was yeah. enough to bring it down sure all of that i have no idea yeah no i, I would definitely say take a look at the video because it's pretty it's pretty fascinating if it was created by the new york times washington post wall street journal or new yorker or the atlantic I'll yep. watch the video. If okay. it wasn't created by one of those five, I don't care. All right. I, don't know. I will never I'll, watch it. I'll look it up and I'll send it to you if it is one of those. <laughs> if it if was he... made by some guy, <laughs> I don't care. I mean, it's it's a recording of like the day of. It's not like, I don't know. Okay. Who uh, just just the base video. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, it's just I, a base I, video. Raw video, that's fine. Yeah. yeah like, it's raw video. It's not. Talking? No, no, no. It's literally <laughs> like, like a seven second video of a building falling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so then, okay. So that's my first part. Yeah. Second part is um the 
this is kind of like a two-parter. So my, my, my grand, my grandparents were uh, into uh, aviation. My grandfather was an air traffic controller in the military. And for years, he was an air traffic controller. My grandma worked, was an executive at Boeing for years. Uh, and I'm scared of flying. So I always used to like, Hey, like, can you give me some <laughs> pointers? Uh, she's like, you're totally fine. Obviously nothing's going to happen to you. Um, and then we used to, we, I used to always ask her about the black boxes where she would say they would find, they would find them in the bottom of the ocean and all these crazy situations. Um, and then um, I don't know if this is a hundred percent true, but I'm pretty sure, pretty sure that they never recovered the black boxes. Um, but also, but, but they did recover in, in totally normal fashion, the terrorists, uh, passports on in ground zero, which mm-hmm. to me, I'm like, okay, if jet fuel fuel is burning steel and bringing down buildings, how are these passports surviving this so those are little things that just kind of mm-hmm. like didn't really add up to me um go ahead can i on that like this i don't is know so fun by the way this yeah is good so, i'm glad no. you're great. i don't know about the black boxes okay I'll, and I'll, I'll take you i'll take you on your word sure because because i don't know and right. I, you've studied this so great um uh in shanksville which is the plane crash that i know the best right um I don't know if they ever recovered the black boxes. I don't. I don't remember that. I just know I, I've always heard phone calls from the airplane of people yeah, calling. Yeah, I think the black boxes weren't recovered. Yeah. So, but then paper uh, was recovered miles away. Okay. Seven, ten miles away. Okay. So I think what happens is in a plane crash, one is just complete chaos. Right. Two, uh, and I'll, I'll go to an axiomatic story here after this. But two, heavy stuff stays put paper flies fly yeah okay yeah you know? so sim- that's a simple thing um here's a story that has become axiomatic to me this is how i think about stories like this okay you know errol morris who <laughs> okay so errol morris as a filmmaker you, you watch all of errol morris's films okay he's a genius his first film i think it was his first film was called thin blue line and oh. to my knowledge it was the first uh, media you know, movie or news story mm-hmm. that proved uh, a person in, that exonerated a person in prison for murder charges against him and led mm-hmm. to charges against the person who actually did it. It's, it's very well done. What's it called? Thin Blue Line. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. So he is a genius, Errol Morris, and he's a documentary filmmaker. And he made a short little seven minute video mm-hmm. uh, for the New York Times. I'll say seven, eight minutes. Right. Um, and it was about, have you heard about, uh, I, I think the conspiracy theorists call it the black hat man at the JFK assassination. Oh. I hadn't heard of this either until I watched this video. Oh, great. So, now we're on so. JFK. Jesus Christ, Chris. Right. <laughs> well, all of it's related because it's okay. all the same thought processes. Right. You know, it's, it's all, it's all the same epistemological process. Sure. How do you know what you know? Right. So I didn't know this, but there really was a guy uh, on the grassy knoll as JFK is coming down in the Lincoln Continental mm-hmm. convertible. And he's, it's 90 degrees out. Dealey Plaza. Yep. Hot. This guy is standing there with an open black umbrella, a bowler hat, a three-piece black suit, and a heavy black coat. What? And he's standing there like this. And for decades, 
conspiracy theorists have wondered who's that guy right you see this is maybe he's in the zeb gruder film maybe it's in some other place you see this guy clearly like he's just right there being interesting i've never and he's in the grassy knoll too so yeah right he's right there he's in the middle of it wow and so in the i'll say 78 79 congress was doing an investigation of the assassination and they said black hat guy i don't know if that's actually what they call him but hey guy (laughs) (laughs) if that was you can you call us yeah because we'd like to talk to you. Right. And he came. Same guy. He came to DC and he explained what he was doing. Because there were all these theories of like maybe he was a signaler, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gun and the umbrella. Right. right. And uh, what he said was so uh, John F. Kennedy's father um, went to Germany with the Prime Minister of England to negotiate with Hitler after Hitler invaded Poland to be like, can you not? Wow. And Hitler was like, I won't. It's cool. I just wanted Poland. I'm done. Right. Uh, Chamberlain? I should know that. I think it was Prime Minister Chamberlain. I should absolutely know that. I apologize that I don't have it 100%. (laughs) But I believe it was Chamberlain. And John F. Kennedy's father came back uh, to a port in England. I don't know if it was London or Liverpool. And they're standing by the ship that they went on. It's raining it's cold and they're dressed in a bowler and umbrellas and black coats. And they're saying the policy of of appeasement. We talked to Hitler. He's a reasonable man, Poland and done. He's not going to invade anybody else. We trust this guy. Right. And X number of time later, obviously Hitler invaded everybody. Yeah. Right. Fast forward to the 1960s. Dallas was a hotbed of anti-communist conspiracy theories. They believed that, John F. Kennedy, a Catholic papist, wow. well, they talked about him. Right. Um, they were reading the tea leaves and believing that he was soft on communism and was going to um, make a deal, right. make an appeasement deal with the Soviet Union. Right. And so this guy, completely on his own, said, this is going to be my protest. Nobody else will understand what I'm doing, but I'm going to be right by the motorcade. And with J- when JFK sees me, he's going to know exactly that I'm wow. dressed like his father. And this is a subtle statement to say, do not pursue a policy of, appe- of appeasement with the Soviet Union. Right. Because we tried it once and it didn't work. Yeah. Yep. So the point of that very interesting Yeah, no, that's story, fascinating. I didn't know any of that shit. <laughs> yeah. Is that when you look at history, you can say, why did we, why did the Civil War start? Right. Why did Reconstruction go so badly? And you can look at these kind of big trends. Right. When you drill down history to to specific buildings like the World Trade Center, events like JFK's assassination, when you drill down to specific people at specific moments in time, all of those narratives, not all, most, most of those narratives fall apart. Right. Because people are weird. Yeah. Yeah, no. and they make dumb decisions. They don't plan. Right. They're just. They're kind of they're they're a little crazy, and right. they're they're doing the best thing they can that day when they woke up. Right. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. And so that was a long way around the bend to say, if you if if I didn't happen to love Gay Talese and be in this thing when he's talking about the 50th anniversary of this lovely book that I loved, right. I wouldn't have known the World Trade Center was built like crap. Right. Yeah. 
No, I, I totally get that. Yeah. And you know, also- so it just, when you, when you, that's, that's my point on all of these things yeah, yeah. Is, is it's, it's easy and lazy to hit the most salacious answer. Sure. When you actually pay attention to the specifics, it gets harder to right. back those things up. Oh, for sure. hundred percent. Oh yeah. I mean, and there's really no like true, true proof of like with anything that we're talking about and like, is. The, well, there is, but like, but not enough to convince like people where, who want to believe nonsense. Yeah. Right. Like me. Yeah. Well, so, okay. So I, also, I, I don't mean this is an attack on you. Oh no, dude, listen, I, <laughs> I am totally fine. I have okay. no shame at all in this my is, game. This is me, honestly, just being like, so fed up. The I reason why I'm going on, I'm just so fed up with conspiracy theories. I'm fed up with Fox News spreading lies professionally. Like the Fox News business model right. in prime time is to lie. Don't they all do that, though? That, no. CNN I mean, does that. I don't, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to cable news. Yeah. Um, the, the cable CNN, I understand CNN's business model the best. Yeah. CNN's business model is the OJ Simpson trial. It is Malaysia Air uh, 390, Malaysia yeah, yeah, Air. Yeah, right? yeah, the one that disappeared. That's a little less great. It's, yeah. it's a mine disaster. I've been, a, I've, I've covered a few mine disasters where miners are stuck in a coal mine. Yeah, yeah. Perfect catnip for cable news. Right. Because what you have immediately out of the gate is uh, and uh, michael jackson's trial oj simpson are better because there you have celebrity right but then what you but in all these cases what you have is big breaking news followed by regular updates right of, of actual news that will continue to come yep it's content for them against which because the thing is cnn and msnbc they're empty shells they're not journalism institutions. They have a couple of journalists on staff. Their business model is to do the bare minimum of reporting and then no bring in free bring in free content. Right. It's the internet pre-internet. Right. It's to bring in people who have axes to grind, um, conflicts of interest that they do not disclose to argue about the, minimal, the tiny little bit of reporting that CNN actually does. Right. So you've got round-the-clock reporting on something like the, uh, the Michael Jackson trial um, or O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson set the model. Yeah, right? the trial was crazy. The whole thing changed was a little bit of news, a whole lot of free content, and we don't have to pay any of these people. We pay one host. Right. Right? So the, the bias of cable – Fox News is its own thing. But the bias of cable news is not – about storyline they're not they don't give a crap about politics they are not there to spread lies or conspiracies their business model is cheap right report it cheap bring in and 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 grab eyeballs right it's got to be explosive something's got to be on fire right? right so if you have those two things you got all you need right that's true I agree. And I mean, like they were wrong about that Indian, that that young white boy in the Indian. Am I remember that debacle? Yeah. 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 Like so that's what I meant earlier when like yeah. first, if you're, you're first versus right. Yeah. That it's like, whole pressure to be first. Yeah. And they all do it. Well, I mean, people on Twitter do it. Oh, yeah. Every, what's, what's interesting about this now is that we all have become Jeff Zuckers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If you're, once you buy into 
that worldview of you'd rather be famous than right. Right. How many, do you have a million people on Twitter? Right. Being just like Jeff Zucker. And I, I think CNN does have a, a more credibility than random people on Twitter. Right. But the incentives are the same to be first, because the first tweet gets the most For sure. response, with the most explosive thing you possibly can. Yep. And rarely, I don't say rarely, sometimes you lose. Right. No, I agree. I honestly, that's like every social media platform. Like I, I personally am on TikTok and I actually, my first TikTok got banned um, mm. because of the content that I was putting. Like you do. I, I didn't do anything. It's just people talking about stuff like this and people are I like, see. Oh, they don't agree with you so much that they literally will submit complaints and stuff. So I got banned. Um, yeah. I created a new one and it's, it's going, got a bunch of viral videos on there already in the last couple of weeks. But to me, it's like, I have, um, it's like bittersweet because it's like I put these short clips, like 30 seconds, 60 seconds, and it's not the whole context, but it is like the juicier part of a conversation. Um, I'm going to talk about you talking about 9-11 and people are going to go crazy in the comments. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I do it within bounds, you right. know, and, and I'm learning, yeah. you know, uh, I tweeted today about the uh, I've done some reporting on nuclear waste. And so I thought that I had some background and some information on Chernobyl right? Uh, and, a, and a more subtle way to read a report out by the International Agency for IAEA, I forget exactly what that stands for, it's but it's like the International Nuclear Regulatory Agency. Yeah. Um, but I wrote that in a catchy... Kind of like clickbaity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like I... I the the American Trade Association for the nuclear industry is uh, the American. Oh gosh, I get their website. <laughs> I get. Their, I told you, there's too many acronyms to remember. Yeah, so. I, you know, and I, I've done this story, but I'm not. It's not my full time work here. Right. Um, so as I looked that up, um, you know, I thought about, you know, let's give these guys a pop. Right. Let's give them a little punch because yeah. they're there. I still believe that I'm right, that they uh, were playing down the risks at Chernobyl because it's their business model to say that nuclear is safe. Sure. And they connected to a report that they incorrectly summarized, which they said, see, the waste at Chernobyl is safe. Right. And if you actually read the report, it doesn't say that at all. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, that's crazy. Uh, but but I, I wrote it the way I did, and um, American Nuclear Society. How hard huh. is that? Yeah. <laughs> American Nuclear uh, Society, so ANS. I, yeah, and I, I'm in this environment. I understand the, the incentives to be sure. uh, polarizing. Right, yeah. I just try to... Not be like extremely clickbaity, like a tabloid type situation. Yeah, I try right. to have some... I, I want... One of my one of my guardrails is that if a person on Twitter were to go to my editors, is what I wrote defensible. Hmm. That's good. I want to keep my job. Right. Yeah. That's smart. Um, yeah. All right. Last thing about nine eleven. Oh yeah. Sorry. So yeah. And then we'll get back to it's a, other. I hope you're going to edit this. I hope you guys. No, this is going to go straight. Oh really? Through. Oh yeah. I don't okay. Shit. No. <laughs> Not because of what I'm saying, just because it's long. 
Oh no. I mean, I've talked to people for like three hours. Like I don't, okay. I don't care. No, I'm good, man. Okay. Um, I will break this up into shorter clips obviously, but no, I don't, yeah. I try not to edit anything. Cause I don't want people to be like, Oh, we edited this. Out. Like, yeah. Yeah, totally. yeah. No. Um, so my other well, thing, knowing that then I'll be kinder to your audience and a little shorter with my answers. Cause no, I thought it's, gonna, it's yeah. good. And no, this is, this is what this podcast is for anyway. It's long form conversation. Okay. Um, so my last thing is so yeah. I, I'm from Washington, DC. Mm. Um, I am from, I, I was there in nine 11, not in DC. I was uh-huh. in eighth grade. So I wasn't there. I was like in school. Um, so one thing is that I've always thought fascinating. I could never get an answer to, uh, there's two pieces after nine 11 happened and the Pentagon was hit. Um, every gas station, uh, every, basically every camera CCTV was taken from the federal aid from, from the FBI. But my thing is the Pentagon is the most recorded building on the entire planet, right? There's more cameras around the Pentagon than anywhere. And yet there was never a video until like seven years later when they released the three frames of the nothing on the shot, little black tube explosion. So uh, I always thought like, how the fuck, how can we see these things, these planes going into the twin towers for like a good 10, 12 seconds before they make impact. And there's not one video. There's not one cell phone video. There's not one camcorder. There's not one gas station of all the angles. And it's not like the Pentagon is a tall building. It's very small as far as height. So Mm -hmm. I always thought it was like very interesting. Like, why was there no footage at all of this? They waited years to report it. It's not a clear, it's grainy, it's pixelated. Um, It just, that always blew my mind. And the other part is I actually have a personal experience. A friend of mine, his dad uh, worked around the Pentagon. On that time, during that, in that morning, he was on 495, which is the route around the Pentagon. And he, and and growing up in DC, you know, when the airplanes are flying over, you know, when the choppers are flying, you know it. Mm -hmm. He said he never saw a plane. He never heard a plane. And you can hear it, especially that low. Uh, so that was my all. And, and he was uh, pretty close. Uh, he was right. He was on four nine, like literally four ninety five is like right there mm-hmm. all, mm-hmm. off the uh, Pentagon, uh, heading into Virginia. So mm-hmm. it's like you literally pass it. You could throw a rock and hit it. Um, not the side that it was on. He would have clearly seen a plane, let mm-hmm. alone let let alone hear it that low. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but that's all hearsay, right? But but the other thing I can fall back on is the video. I just can't believe there's no actual footage of a physical plane hitting that building. Mm. That doesn't seem strange to me. What? Because it's a, eh, not really. I mean, <laughs> and here's why. Okay. Um, I mean, well, let me, a two-part thing. Okay. One, yeah, maybe the military had or should have had, maybe they did have more cameras there that they didn't release. Maybe they- That's what I think. Could I have think had they more cameras release. around. Yeah. Yeah. But you've been to the Pentagon and you've been to, to downtown Manhattan. Yeah. radically different places totally different right the pentagon for all its proximity to the rest of dc you have to want to go to the pentagon oh yeah you got to know right? how to get it's, there you're not cutting through that area to nope. get someplace else you just you're drive going, around it you're going to the pentagon yep not that many people do that yep right that's true you compare the the number of people uh walking around in way lower uh, in Manhattan, way higher. True. And um, and the scale is also different. I mean, the Pentagon, it's famously a huge building, right. but 
there's not much area there to there's a parking lot and a bus stop and there's yeah. a river but there isn't a whole lot of room to navigate sure whereas the world trade center is out surrounded on four sides by some of the most dense neighborhoods in america sure um so the idea that there would be more cameras and tv people there doesn't surprise me i don't know about the specifics on your uncle obviously or or what the pentagon had i guess then where you go from that if 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 the allegation or the thought process becomes the pentagon bombed itself the department of defense bombed itself obviously it did not bomb itself now i feel stupid <laughs> there's no way no no i yeah i don't that, think that happened. they're not that strategic they're not that creative right i actually don't think they're that that evil i think they actually take their job of protecting we can disagree about sure. things like whether we should have invaded iraq we shouldn't but Agreed. would they would i do believe that even spies i mean even the, like the worst members of the military establishment the one thing i believe they all agree on is let's protect america sure yeah no I <laughs> the agree. idea that they would bomb their own headquarters doesn't it would never occur to me. Right. Yeah. It just falls into if you believe the Twin Towers was conspiracy and the, and also the false flag situation. A lot of military guys I speak to, that's a real thing, false flag yeah. situations. But it's like, oh, you came and you did something to us. Now we have a reason to come and fuck you up. Sure. And Iraq and Afghanistan. And, and, and so. Well, and part of the, I think a major reason why we have this whole conversation still right. going 20 years later is because the Bush administration was so deeply untruthful, cynical, they completely blew the moment. Right, the 9-11 commission report? No, I mean, the, the Bush administration decide, decision to capitalize on 9-11 politically. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, and then go to, to war. invade Afghanistan and Iraq with sure. full ground invasions. Yep. Uh, when they knew Iraq had nothing to do with it, they knew exactly where bin Laden was. Right. He had him cornered in some caves. Yep. That's all you needed. Right. But I agree with had, you on that. We had the problem at hand. Right. It was smart, deeply unwise people like Dick Cheney and people in his cir uh, circles, the, mm. uh, the neoconservatives, making a an historically and potentially empire ending terrible dumb decision right that at least right now appears to have cost the united states its post-war empire oh for sure yeah right? um because they were uh as smart as they thought they were yeah and they had a complete misreading of geopolitics um and they thought we got a big military let's use it yep that's yeah, because right? no, they're thinking with their dicks. Yep, yeah, I know, hundred percent. It's a dig measure right? contest for sure. Yeah. So if if we had had intelligent, strategic people in those positions, well, sorry, then the subsidiary things become the whole, the whole Bush thing. If you're not with us, then you're with the terrorists, which yep. is wrong. <laughs> right, right. A million people in the streets, you know, the largest protest ever. Yeah. Saying don't do this. Right. Before the invasion. Yeah. And all of those people are now traitors. Right. Obviously, no. no. Right? So the Bush administration lied. They made huge strategic mistakes. Yes, obviously. That's all been corroborated. We know that. 
Right. Um, did they plan 9-11? Obviously not. Right. They're not smart enough. They're not crazy enough. Right. Well, then that's, I agree with you. I don't think the Bush administration had anything to, not, and not, not anything to do with it, but like didn't plan it. That's why I think the Illuminati planted it. <laughs> so that's for episode two, Chris. All right. <laughs> Perfect segue into Jeffrey yes. Epstein. Okay. You want to go to Jeffrey Epstein? Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's go to Jeffrey Epstein's planes. Yeah, let's talk about the Lolita Express. Yeah. Yep. So um, there's just some stuff here that I think is interesting. It's kind of stepping a bit away from the conspiracy part. And just, I think it's interesting. Right. Like, that, that, I don't know why this sticks with me, but like the Boeing 727 is a hog. For real, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it goes just like the top speed is just like a mile or two an hour below the speed of sound. Sure. It's loud, it guzzles gas. He pimped it out with this kind of loose, kind of gross interior with yep. a circular bed. Like, just if you're getting on that plane, you got to be thinking like, this what's going on here this yeah good. yeah um and he had a sikorsky helicopter he had a lear jet that knew i don't know if he bought it new but new cost 50 million dollars so he was spending a lot of money and he was flying all over the place but the re- a reason why teterboro was the hub for his operations i think there were a few i mean his primary home was in manhattan mm-hmm. teterboro is the closest airport but Here's why I got onto this story. I was actually on a writing fellowship in Canada when he was arrested in my newspaper's backyard. Oh, wow. And I was up there for a month. So, like, I couldn't cover anything. Like, recently arrested or back in 2005? In 2018. Okay, so it was more more recent. Yeah, when he was arrested that time. Gotcha. He was arrested at Teterboro Airport. And so I couldn't report on anything. My, uh, My immediate thought is, huh, it's no accident that Jeffrey Epstein was arrested at Teterboro Airport. That's exactly the kind of place where Jeffrey Epstein would be. Right. He's a flashy guy. Right. And if you want, if you have some flash and you want to show that you have money, that's where you do it. Right. Because it costs $60,000 a month to hang our plane there. That's and crazy. if you have a plane there, that, that isn't just like, oh, it's convenient. Right. No, you have a that's plane something there. that comes up in conversation right. so that people around you say, oh, oh right. You have that. You have different scales of rich. Right, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah. then there's Teterboro multiple planes on the tarmac. Right. right? Multiple 60,000s a month. <laughs> well, I'm not sure how much, how many were interior and exterior. On right. The interior was 60 grand for some periods. I think he had. Right. It. Yeah. Regardless. But, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, so I just found all of that interesting. And then uh, we got lucky. Uh, the judge in the 2018 case unsealed a bunch of documents. From the 2005 case, mm-hmm. uh, including logs from just one of at least six pilots that Epstein had. Um, sure. And just this one pilot. I mean, Epstein was flying sometimes multiple times a day. He's, what? He, he flew. Here, I, I, uh, I got the number. Yeah, it's definitely multiple times a day. That's crazy. Definitely multiple times a week. And here's a number. I, I took some, I, I took notes from our thing here. It's 106 pages by one pilot of, of at least six, and he one pilot flew Jeffrey Epstein's planes 730 times between 1995 and 2013. Whoa! Yeah, that's one person. 
That's just one pilot. He Holy six, shit. At least. He, he had yeah. more than six, but he had six that we know about. Right. I mean, the guy was on the plane almost every day. He was flying all over it. Yeah. Imagine what he's seen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we asked, we asked people about that because if you're loading luggage on one of these planes, especially once Epstein got one of these Gulfstream jets, it's a two-pilot plane. One pilot is usually assigned, usually the junior pilot is assigned to um, load the luggage. Uh, that's done inside the cabin. Mm -hmm. uh, so after you load the luggage, you have to walk through the cabin to get to the cockpit, right. seeing whatever's going on. Right. So a lot of the pilots we talked to say that they knew these guys, the pilots knew something wasn't right. Right. Don't know what they knew. Yeah. Right. Damn, that's crazy. Multiple yeah. times a day. Yeah. Boston. Uh, and it changed. The logs changed with his business relationships. Uh, right. In the beginning, he's going to Columbus, Ohio a, a lot. With less. With less. Yeah. Well, I forget whether Les Wexner showed up in the logs. I think he didn't, but we would have mentioned that. Hmm. Uh, Les has his own plans. Yeah, exactly. He's not. You know, he's a, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's fine all over the place. Uh, and after the 2005 arrest, the logs changed. So Rogers was the pilot. Before 2005, has a lot of names. Right. After 2005, no names. Oh, and also initials, a lot of initials. After 2005, it's just usually the number. It's because they caught on. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because he didn't want people to. Wow. Yeah. So then all the logs of like the people that we're talking about, like Clinton, Trump, Gates, all these people, like that's 2005 and before. Uh, I think, it, no, it kept going. It changed. But, oh, with the names. Yeah. The names yeah. were 2005 and before. The other thing too, is that these logs. So, so th this is the world of general aviation, right? All of the rules that we're used to of flying through Newark airport don't right. apply. Right, true. Right. Uh, so this was another part of our multi-part series was saying uh, you don't go through security. No. Nope. Uh, Epstein would have driven through the gates of what's called a fixed base operation, FBO, uh, which has an interesting history in its own. Be driven right to the stairs, of, just like in movies and buildings. Yeah. Now, I've flown private before for my previous job. It's exactly uh -huh. what we did. We yeah. went right to the gates. We didn't go to security. We just pulled right up to the plane, got on it, mm -hmm. took off. Yeah. And the only public intervention is if you're flying international, if you're arriving from an international uh, places, um, you, you have to go through customs. Yep. Uh, that's it. But yep. you know the TC, TSA isn't there. The nope. New York, New Jersey, the uh, the Port Authority police are perimeter. They're not really on the tarmac. Yep. So uh, and experts disagree on whether that's good or bad. Right. You know, there are experts who say that this system of general aviation is being used by traffickers of all kinds. For sure. Every, every day. Yeah. And that's a problem, and we should clamp down on it. Uh, people in the industry say, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not a communist or a socialist. Like this, also is a good argument. Right. You say, uh, would you accept, um, Corey, that every time you leave your garage in your car, a federal agent has to search your trunk? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. 
So why would we accept people searching planes that belong to a person, to a private person? Yeah. And it's in a bigger garage. True. Of a hangar. Yeah. So it's, it's just a more expensive car. Unless yeah. you have probable cause, go away. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. That's a reasonable argument. It is reasonable. I don't know how you solve that. It is reasonable. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, I, I would say even, I mean, the airport that we flew from was on Long Island and we flew to Boston. Um, so it, was, it wasn't like we were flying from like LaGuardia or JFK to Boston internet. It was just literally like small airport to another. And it was just, we, we, when we got there, it was the same treatment. Car was yeah. there waiting for us, got in the car. We went to do, do the job, got back in three hours later, flew home. And it was like, I hated it because I was terrible. I'm all, I was scared of flying. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, I felt like I, we were going to die every second. Um, but it was interesting. I noticed I'm like, damn, I, I'm like looking to go into the front of the airport. Like, oh, let's go through security. And they're like, where are you going? I'm like, yeah, what? Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. fucking weird, man. Yeah. But I, I that well, is a good you, point of of it's yeah. a person's pro- uh, property. Why would they yeah. need to? Yeah. And also in terms of the mindset of the people who do this, uh, I briefly covered Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2008 when she was losing to Obama, but when we concede, I was was covering that for Time Magazine. So I traveled with her for a few days. Mm -hmm. Like with her, with her? Yeah. Right. Like part of the motorcade to the plane, up on the plane. It was a 737 paid for by donors. Yep. And... It was everything that we're talking about, except it was at Columbus International Airport. Oh, wow. And then we landed. Uh, it, there were like seven cities in a day. We flew all over the, uh, the Midwest for a few days. So I forget right. all the cities. But you're, you're flying into the big oh, airport. Wow. City. Yeah. But it's the same treatment in terms of like you, you fly in and you get off and you don't go through security. And yep. they open special gates off the tarmac and you just drive right onto the highway, which is closed for you. Wow. Um, so when somebody like Hillary or John Kerry seem weird, yep. seem out of touch, right? Live like that for 20 years. Right. Or however long, you know, intermittently for 20 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. It's div- bend divided. Yeah. Yeah. Divided yeah it's going to bend your brain. Else. You're going to be different after that. True. That's true. <laughs> that gonna, makes sense. You're, pro- you're going to come off at least weird. Yep. And some people that will, that experience will make them very arrogant. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, right. clearly. Everywhere I go, you shut down the highway. Yeah. Part the Red Sea for me. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. be an asshole. I felt like that. I was in the back, the back of the last bus because I wasn't a regular election. Yeah. Right. And you're I'm like, in the very back of the convoy, right behind me are the cops. And I'm like. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you guys. <laughs> yeah. My dad, because like. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. I know I drive all these highways yeah. all the time. Like I never yeah. get to like ah. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> that's so funny. All right. Well, <laughs> that's funny. Well, no, I, I agree with you. And I think that's a, a valid point of like having searches and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know a way around that. I don't have an answer to that. I don't know how no, they either, would, yeah. you know, that's, that's one thing about Epstein though, that I've always to, it kind of plays into two-part question is one is why do you think it it was so hard to get him and that like slap on the wrist plea deal that he got in 2005 when the actually was it the future uh district attorney yep or uh they can picture his face i forget his name yeah he's like weird looking yeah he he got him off basically and it helped his career it did it lost him 
until it didn't yeah <laughs> yeah and then he had to step down after he was like oh yeah. shit yeah they came back to bite him in the ass i couldn't yeah. believe that that they had all this evidence. I've never heard of a deal like that. Never. He's let out of jail twelve hours a day, six days a week to go to his office. That's what I'm saying. You have to know somebody to do that, dude. You have to know somebody. I don't think those kinds of deals are common. No. Uh, if I did that, but, but I would I mean, be in jail for the rest of my life. I mean, that is a good thing. Like, I think our system works better than that most of the time. True. Right. True. Um. And yeah, I mean that's corruption. For sure. It's just pure corruption. Right. Definitely. Okay. All right. Short answer. All right. So <laughs> I'm not going to ask you yeah, if this that's is him using his money and his friends and his to lean on yeah. whomever. And he did the same thing when he was in the jail in, in lower Manhattan uh, right before he died. Yeah. Like he was putting, I just read up on this in the Times. This, this is not my recording. Um, but, you know, he was putting money into the jail accounts of other uh, inmates, probably to keep them from beating him up. Wow. He was bringing in, you're allowed, I think they said, I think the Times reported 12 hours a day of a, a maximum of time out of your cell conferring with lawyers. So he booked some of the most expensive attorneys in the country because that's who he dealt with yep. and just parked them in this con little conference room. So right. he'd be out of his cell and not like smelling shit right. and getting uh, chased by rats. Right. Because the cell and that gel generally are horrible. Right. Right. Damn. Um, that's crazy. Even he was he was using his money to like empty the vending machines. Just we don't eat this horror because the food there was horrible. Oh, of course, yeah. Right. So we're not uh, maybe he that too, but generally they just they just pump, pumped quarters into the vending machines and they were sold out the whole time he was there. Wow. So that shows a pattern of behavior at a smaller level, but the same thinking of, I have resources and I'm going to deploy them to make my life a little more comfortable. Right. That's true. Yeah. No, that's, I would do the same thing if I was a billionaire. So you want to be run over by rats. Yeah. No, fuck no. <laughs> um, okay. So biggest question, do you think he killed himself or do you think that the cameras weren't working? The guards were sleeping. He was on suicide watch. They should have been looking at him every hour or whatever it is. What do you think? I don't know. Okay. I don't either. So. But my hunch is that that jail was a poorly fund, was an underfunded, poorly run, disgusting shithole um, that wasn't following most of the rules. Mm -hmm for the securing of most of its inmates. I mean, they were chronically understaffed. Uh, one of, there were two guards in his unit that night. One was on the back half of a 16 hour uh, double shift right. that he didn't sign up for. Right. The other was a volunteer who wasn't a normal prison guard, uh, who didn't know the rules and didn't know the inmates. Uh, and they fell asleep. They have video of them falling asleep, apparently. Right. Um, and then falsifying the records to say they were supposed to uh, check on him every 30 minutes. Yep. But there were a number of hours where they didn't because they were sleeping. Right. Um, in the absence of credible information, knowing what I know about dysfunction, well, I'm not an expert, but what, what I know about dysfunctional 
federal agent, dysfunctional underfunded federal agencies generally and jails specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't seem at all suspicious to me that he used an opportunity to kill himself. I mean, that day, that day, right, right around the time when this is happening, that document dump that I used to mm -hmm. uh, detail his planes travel um, had lots of other salacious, crazy stuff that he had worked for decades to keep secret. Right. That had all just hit. He was, he was a person who obviously cared about his reputation and how people saw him. That was the only, seemed to be the only thing he cared about. Right. And all of a sudden, it becomes national news that he is a bona fide scumbag. Right. With, uh, with people he, in high places. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's living in squalor and he's never getting out. There again, simple, yeah. I, I apply the same logic. Well, the grassy knoll example is not exactly true because that's all, actually kind of just weird. Yeah, that's crazy. Right. There are two, there are two ways, there are two uh, meta narratives here. One is people are weird and, and unique and individual. And two, the simple answer is usually correct. Right. Right. So unless we have video or some kind of proof that somebody went in there and killed him, he had every reason to kill himself. The systems around him were porous and allowed him to do so. True. That makes sense. So once again, Chris, you're going <laughs> to fucking throw away my tinfoil hat now. <laughs> it's, it's maybe more fun. Well, here's maybe, and here's the last thing I think that I can think of on this is that the, I won't, I'll take the, term conspiracy theories back. Theories about Jeffrey Epstein's death are way less interesting than theories about his life. How do you get so much money from one client? Right. Yeah, that's, and living that lifestyle off yeah. of one. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. like, how do you get off the, in 2005? How, all, I mean, you kind of know, he, he definitely, like you said, uses money and power to, to kind of- Yeah, and he definitely had dirt on people. But like, I've heard people say that, well, he, he was able to blackmail Les Wexner with dirt on Les Wexner. Maybe, but these guys, these guys have, from the external appearances, these guys appear to have been friends. Right. Close. I mean, Epstein's mansion was a little smaller and right next door to Les Wexner's on right. West Farm Country. You don't do that if you're blackmailing somebody. Right. Yeah. I don't, maybe that was his, uh, his thing. He got in there and he, uh, I don't know, maybe he swung yeah. this way in. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's not saying that he, he had dirt on, he absolutely had dirt on powerful people sure. who probably wished him dead. Right. Would any of them stick their neck out? Listen, the, the Clintons in their hit list. I wouldn't put it past <laughs> them. So, yeah. yeah. It's Vince Foster yeah. and it's, <laughs> whoever else people yeah i think there's like 800 people actually on their list yeah sure yeah no i'm yeah it's google it it's legit um <laughs> yeah so okay cool all right i like that that the way that because I listen i talk to people that are like totally the other way you know bohemian yeah. grove type people which i am a little bit of that well bohemian grove exists like um oh crap. i haven't thought about this guy for a little while um the men who sleep with the men who stare at goats Jonathan, if, if you like this stuff, you got to read yeah. this book. All right. Uh, it's not Jonathan Franzen. 
that's an American guy. This guy is British. Uh, stare against. Stare. Oh, come on. This guy broke into, trespassed. Oh, shit. At the Bohemian Grove with Alex Jones before Jones completely lost his mind. John Ronson. Oh, shit. Our, see? As much as I do to debunk conspiracy theories, this guy's a real journalist with, wow. he plays by all the rules. His right. name is John Ronson, R-O-N-J-O-N-O-H. Ronson, R-O-N-S-O-N. His famous one is the men who stare at goats because George Clooney was in the movie, but his better book that you will love, John Ronson, Bohemian, Grove book. I love Google. Them, Adventures with Extremists. You'll love that book. All right, I'm gonna check it out. And if I... he reads it, if there's an audio of it, he's got a great voice and a, you know, he's been- Oh yeah, I'm an audio day. person. Yeah, I'm definitely yeah. gonna. Yeah, if, if, he, if he's the reader, you should, read, you should get it that way. He's been on This American Life. He's got a great reading voice. Damn. Um, so like, there's some crazy stuff in there that, no, yeah. that that crosses my threshold that gets over my bar for like he reported it it's real and sure. I can't explain all of it. Bilderberg group, that's one of them. That's another one, yeah. Yep. You know, like me on my own, I still kind of want to think that like a yeah, Bilderberg group, that's just some anti-Semitic bullshit. Right. That doesn't exist. Um because that that line here is really important. There are lots of anti-Semites who believe that Jewish people control the world and the banks and Hollywood, right. which they don't. Right. And that's another kind of tripwire for me. That's another like thing that gets me upset about these things right? because the, the distance between the factual reporting that John Ronson leaves unanswered, like it's, it's kind of read it. It's, He's like, well, something weird is happening. Right. I just don't, I don't know, know what it was. is. Yeah. But it certainly seems after reading, I'd point to it because it's on Audible. Um, it certainly seems that the Bilderberg group, based on his reporting, might exist and some weird stuff happens. Wow. It's a, that's crazy. Yeah. There, it's a really short distance from there to travel to Jews control the world. True. Yeah. Which is disgusting. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, so that's another thing of like, oh, steer clear of all of this because. Right. It's a gray area that you're in. I think like it's. I don't. I don't want to be in that gray area. No. No. Yeah. I, I, I want to be way over. Here. Yeah. <laughs> I like to go in there a little bit sometimes. I'm not gonna lie. I like to. I like to dive into the. I think. Know. Yeah. No. I think it's fun. It's, I think fu it's more fun for me. It's like, am I gonna like live in a cabin in the woods and wear a tinfoil hat, run around in my underwear? No. But sometimes, maybe on the weekends. <laughs> How do you? Genuine question. Sure. What are your guardrails mm. to stay within the bounds of reality, to not fall? Because, because the reason why this stuff works, the reason why QAnon works is because it's, it's tapping the lizard parts of our brain, oh, yeah. which are rooted in fear. And we've had now 100 years of 
of testing and of A-B testing on these messages to figure out which ones tap our amygdalas the hardest. Mm -hmm. This is high octane lies and propaganda. Oh, for sure. Right? And maybe yeah. there are little nuggets of truth in there someplace. Right. But I would worry about engaging with this stuff too much because it's like cocaine. Yeah, make, it'll make you It's crazy. so good. How can you say no? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, <clears throat> I have, I definitely have guardrails where I'm like, I'll talk about something, whether I believe it or not, a hundred percent is kind of where I am, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. I'll talk about a topic. I'll talk about, for example, and actually I only have like 15 minutes because I got to go to this okay. other interview. <laughs> yeah. But for example, there was a kid named Kendrick Johnson in Atlanta. I don't know if you've heard of him, look him up. It's incredible. So he was found dead. It's black kid found dead and his high school mat rolled up. There's been a documentary just came out last year. They reopened the investigation. He was found in this mat. They did an autopsy without even contacting the family. They opened him up. He was stuffed with newspaper. All of his organs were gone. Pretty sure they don't stuff you with newspaper when you go into a funeral home, right? So yeah. there was like this big conspiracy thing. So a part of my brain, when I talked about it on my podcast, was like in Stranger Things, when they had the cotton with the dead kids and they faked the dead kids, I was like, okay, is this like an organ harvesting thing? Because why, why else would his organs be gone? And then one of the kids who the family thinks uh, had something to do with it, his dad is a federal agent in the FBI. So then my brain went, okay, well, maybe he has something to do with it and the dad is covering it up and they're spinning it off to be this. So like, I don't really know what the fuck happened to this kid. Yeah. But my brain goes to these places. Whether I believe them 100%, I'm not going to lay my head down at night and be like, you know what? Organ harvesting, this is what happened. Like, <laughs> right. That's not, you know what I mean? So I have garbage where I'm like, like how you explain to me 9-11, how you explain, like me thinking of things like that really helps me kind of be like, hmm, this doesn't make sense, but I have no answer to it. But this other stuff is kind of like super logic and kind of plain Jane and basic. And it makes sense if that makes, yeah. if that yeah. makes sense. So yeah. I'm kind of all over the place, but I don't believe like, like Alex Jones, like sometimes, I mean, granted, he did talk about Epstein a long time ago. Um, after, like the last couple of years, he's really, really after the whole Sandy yeah. hook, he lost me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't really go down that too far around all, but mm -hmm. I, I mm -hmm. can bring myself out of it, if that makes sense. That's good. I think just maintaining that ability to get out of it. Right. And, and the way that I do it, and it's probably just interest and I'm busy with other stuff. So there's other stuff going on there. But I, I'm being flip somewhat, but also truthful about the five or six media outlets. In USA Today, I work for them. I trust their processes. Um, so there are a few more. Um, to me, the dividing line is process. And the process of journalism, here, here's the thing that I think most people on, on all sides of the objectivity debate of journalism don't understand, is the history of how this objectivity idea came around. Mm -hmm. The idea for journalistic objectivity, of setting that as a goal, was not to say that your beginning state would be unbiased. That's impossible. Right. It's assuming you're going to come in with some biases and preconceptions. Sure. And it's not actually saying at the end that you're going to be treat everybody equally. Sure. Right. You yeah. might find stuff in the middle that you're like, well, these guys did it. Right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> right? right. Yeah. The really what objectivity about is, is about is not the, not our journalists liberal. They're not mm -hmm. uh, good ones aren't, 
Um, and it's not the end process of do I agree with the end result. Right. The idea of 20th century objective journalism is what happens in the middle. Sure. Are you able to follow a process to interview and, and gather facts from a broadest array possible of people that you have and documents that you have time for mm-hmm. and show your work. Right. And showing the work is, I mean, it's not science, but it's that was a revolutionary idea in like early 1900s because yeah. they didn't do that beforehand. Yeah, I hated it. It's cool. Show your work. Like, yeah, show your work. Because <laughs> that the reason why attribution is such a big part of newspaper journalism is to say, if you go talk to these 20 people whose names I've cited, mm-hmm. you're tr- probably going to come to the same conclusion I did. Right. That's also why off-the-record sources are so problematic. Right. Right? Like, and that's why, for good reason, lots of people who disagree with the idea of journalism say, off-the-record sources, they're, they're right about that. Right. There's an over-reliance on off-the-record sources because powerful people demand it. Right. And it puts us journalists in a difficult position because we need the interview. We genuinely want to hear what these well-placed people have to say about it. But you can't use it. But we can't hear it right. until we agree to the deal, right. to the off-the-record deal. Right. So it's not perfect at all, but it works better than most people realize. Right. Well, I mean, that makes sense because I've always had kind of I thought what the process was and, you know, it's so hard for me, like to your point earlier of like, like, what are my guardrails? Like if I'm on Reddit and somebody or even on my TikTok or my YouTube, someone says, this, oh, this is crazy or this is this happened and this is true. There's a guy today that posted on on one of my Navy SEAL videos. And this guy's a Navy SEAL, SEAL one, SEAL team one, three and six. He's seen everything. His name's Don Mann. He's a published author. Um he was talking about how he doesn't think that Russia and Ukraine even want to fight each other because there's reports of like ground troops, like not wanting to fight each other, being nice to each other and stuff like that, all because of Putin. And this guy is like uh, in the comments talking about, well, in the Bible, you know, Putin's doing what he needs to do. So there's not a new world order and all this. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Like, that's come on. Like innocent people are dying. Like, yeah, get out of here. So that that's where I'm like, but to your point, if it's like a legit certified, like, legitimate place i take it with a little bit more of a grain of salt and and here's i I wanted to talk about the project i'm working on now yes this is actually a great segue for that perfect and i know you have to go so i'll do it quickly so um during covid we were i I work primarily in new jersey we were right in the middle of the first hotspot, and i saw people dying right in front of me covid is real covid kills people of all ages um vaccines work um and uh, were, uh, I kept hearing Quest Diagnostics and LabCorp, and they were always in the background. People were in Quest Diagnostics, LabCorp. I was like, what? After I heard them enough, I was like, what? who are these people? What is that? Right. So I went looking into it, and I found the loudest voices first, right? The people who really criticize it. Quest Diagnostics and LabCorp are together a, a duopoly, some people say, that control laboratory diagnostic testing in the United States. They control about 80% of the market. Right. They're huge. They're yep. If you get your money. blood work, you're getting it. At- it's going there. Yeah. Yep. Even if it's at a hospital at your doctor, most of it goes to 100%. These mega labs, $26 billion in annual revenue or so. And so the first people that I interviewed roasted them, said uh, Quest and LabCorp uh, have uh, manipulated COVID from the beginning for profit and screw public health. Wow. Oh. I have this. I mean, this guy is a Nobel Prize-winning economist, former chief economist for the World Bank. Right. 
right? I'm going to I'm going to top shelf. Pretty legit. <laughs> with my first call. Yeah. I like and respect him. I think he. I'm not saying he's wrong, but the bulk of my reporting has found that most experts disagree with him. And so where I came in pitching to my editors, fireballs of just right. like, these guys, we got to bring them down. Right, right. My reporting finds that, well, those pipelines and the data and the logistics and the, the contracts of, of, of diagnostic testing, how the, how the blood goes from your arm to a lab and then right. the test result comes back to you is dysfunctional. Uh, those systems don't work well together. Hmm. They they were slow. They were almost maxed out. They were designed to be maxed out by day to day life, and they were had no surge capacity. Right. Two years into COVID, we still don't have surge capacity because two presidents from both parties haven't invested in it. Interesting. So these two companies are doing the best they can with systems that weren't designed for this. Right. And, and I can show them doing good things right. and I can show how they contributed to these dysfunctional systems. That's a really nuanced story. Sure. Um, and if I just came in there throwing heat, I never would have learned about it. So that's right. what I mean by process where it, it fit a narrative. It was sexy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's like hot. <laughs> and then I spend you know, four or five months reporting it. And I think, I don't think it's true. Right. And so the story that I wrote and that we're in the middle of, hopefully when this comes out, it'll be out, is 12,000 words long, which is a lot, yeah. <laughs> especially for USA Today, Yeah. on this nuanced, kind of more boring, not as sexy right. story. And to my editor's credit, they're fine with that. Right. So, but, so anyway, that's what I mean by let, you know, we all go by hunches. Sure. The hunch gets you to the home plate. Right. Of reporting and then from there the reporting guides it right no that's a great point because like instead of if you just went off that guy's report yeah it would have been hot it would have sold a lot of it would, a lot of got a lot, it would have gotten a lot of clicks all that stuff but if i had tweeted that i mean he's on the record i can say it, it paul romer right if i had just gone off and tweeted paul romer calls these companies monopolists right who gamed covid for their financial benefit right that, that would have been, been great viral. on twitter yeah that would have been great on twitter right but uh, I, I don't have the standing to say that Paul Romer is wrong. Right, right. <laughs> He's a prize-winning economist. I can say that most of the experts who spend their lives in this industry disagree with him. Right. And your investigation, not investigation, but your, your yeah. reporting on it also shows yeah. that. So, so that's, that's why, I, that, in, just in terms of like uh, how my worldview influences both my work and how i interact with these topics that we're talking right, about right right no that's a that was a great cap actually <laughs> see no that was perfect dude sprawling try to put a bow on it. yeah no that was great <laughs> uh yeah so do some reporting people stop just wearing tinfoil hats and running around in your underwear basically scrolling um, on twitter is easy yeah, facts so are easy facts, so are, easy. facts are hard it is that's true well, Chris, where can Thank people you. find you? Absolutely, man. Where can people find you on social media and stuff like that? Let me look. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, I'm going to find you too, and I'll put all these. Yeah, what is my Twitter handle? What is um, it? My Twitter handle, apparently, <laughs> is at Chris underscore Mog. Last name is M A A G. My byline is Christopher Mog. Nice. And my work, my work uh, is published. The records website is NorthJersey.com. Okay. 
and then usatoday.com. Got it. And all of that will be in the description below. Chris Mog, thank yes. you so much for coming thank on. You, I really Corey. appreciate it. That was really it. fun. I hope uh, it right? wasn't too long. No, dude. Honestly, I would keep going. I just had this okay. other interview at 12. So I was like, oh, let me just uh, yeah. uh, get out of here. But no, honestly, I would do it again for sure. I mean, there's a right. lot of other stuff we could talk about. You brought up two other great ones, conspiracies that I would love to talk about. Bohemian Grove and oh, yeah. uh, Bilderberg Group. But yeah, no, uh, I really appreciate it. We uh, should have a book group. Read John Ronson. We'll have a book group. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'll listen. I'll listen to, <laughs> listen John. to John Ronson. I have all these books of all these authors I've interviewed. I never read them. I just listen yeah. to them. So, yeah. but once again, thank you. Thanks, Chris, Corey. For have a great on. time. You too. That's another episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast. We'll see you next time.